Corporate Fringe. Yay, Corporate Fringe. Welcome to Corporate Fringe. My name's Mietta Gibson. And I'm Natalie Wheeland. And we're two sisters who live on the edge of the corporate world in Melbourne, Australia. And we want to share our stories and our observations of what we see that happens in the corporate world. Yeah, so um, my name's Natalie and I'm the CEO of a business called CPD Interactive and also the new co-founder of Vidversity. And again, we just want to talk about our observations. So, Mieta, what I want to talk to you about today is when somebody is bored with their job, they no longer should be at the front of a business or in customer service. And I've got a couple of examples. The first one is um, our mum's been quite unwell, so I've decided to be the responsible 46-year-old and start doing all the medical stuff. So I've been going through a whole lot of medical tests, as you do. I went last week to have a blood test and the woman said I'd been fasting and she said, you have to also do a urine test. Oh, that's fine. So we do the blood test and then she hands me three swabs. She, no, no rapport created, no talking to me, nothing. She hands me the urine jar, three swabs. She goes, swipe left side of the vagina, right side of the vagina, middle, front to back, stream in, first part of the stream in the jar, second part of the stream in the second jar, finish in the bowl. Next. And I thought... <laughs> The world has truly gone mad. What? First of all, what the are you talking about? And secondly, oh, my God, no acknowledgement what she's just asked me to do. I don't even know what she's talking about. And I thought, oh, my God, the world has seriously gone mad. You've done that too many times. If you have said swipe your vagina that many times <laughs> that it no longer means anything to you, I think it's time for a change of job. And the second one was I was in a car park the other day in an underground car park and my ticket... I took my ticket, parked for what was about an hour, $55. That's all it costs in the city. I mean, it's just that's mental. And I came back and the card wouldn't – I put the ticket in it wouldn't work. So I had to buzz the buzzer and the person goes, back up your vehicle, get your vehicle over to the right-hand side and come and buzz it again. So I go up there and I buzz and she says – how long have you been in the car park? And I explained that my that said 9.35, it's now 10.38. She said, so she made me pay for two hours. She said, I'll buzz you out and let you out. I go down, she buzzes me out, the boom gate flashes, goes up and is down by the time I'm there. So I ring, ring, buzz again. She said, step out of the vehicle, move your vehicle back to the, the whole thing again. The fifth time she goes, just listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> I wanted to say to her, I'm paying $55 for an hour to be stuck in a car park. I can't get out and you're abusing me. So just one of those things I went, get her off the front line. That's not who you want on the front line. She absolutely abused the living shit out of me for not being able to get out of the boom gate that she wasn't putting up. I went, I'm done. <laughs> it's like I think I've realised one of the biggest beauties of Uber is that you don't have to interact with a person. I don't need to explain my situation. I don't need to justify anything. And the other night I couldn't get an Uber and so I had to call a taxi and the woman was so rude and so degrading. I thought, this is why I like Uber. It's like I don't want to interact with someone who's going to be rude. I'd rather interact with no one. Yeah, and that's it. That's how I felt with this as I'm stuck in this stupid car park. So um, yeah, so that's what I just my thoughts have been for the last week. So on that note, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. I have been um, – I work at one of the universities and I take my students to see um, Parliament, the Supreme Court. And so we went off to um, – 
the city. Now, I don't meet them until about five minutes before we go and there's 150 or something of them and I take them in lots of 60 on the tram into the city. And the half of them... <laughs> that would be called an excursion when you're in primary school, but when you're doing masters, it's a little bit different. Yeah, well, one girl said, you're treating me like a child. I said, well, you kind of are to me because you look 15. But anyhow, um, <laughs> we went into the city and I don't meet them until a few minutes before. So there, I think I had 38 countries because that's the whole point. I'm teaching the Australian legal system. So we're going across the street just near the Victorian market and they just sort of dawdled along and all of a sudden the traffic lights had turned green and cars were coming. So I grabbed this, I said to this woman, get up on the pavement. She's staring at me and she stepped back almost in front of a car and I grabbed her by the scruff of the neck and said, get back in line. Uh, it turns out it wasn't one of my students, just a total stranger on the street who thought I was a complete and utter nutbag. So um, that was the first thing. But then... Um, <laughs> Safety first! <laughs> like such a moron. This poor girl just looking at me like, who are you? Then um, when we get to court, I take them into the Supreme Court and I just send them into what courtroom one, which is the main court with the big gallery, and say, just go and have a look. And I'm always at the back of the line going through security. So I send them into court and say, just enjoy it, just go and sit down, be quiet, turn off your phones. And I don't know what the case is. Anyhow, <laughs> I've now got 50, 60 students who are lawyers usually and often judges from different jurisdictions around the world sitting in a court case and I walk in and one of them, the lady next to me or the student next to me says, excuse me, professor, which is what they usually call me, what's sodomy? <laughs> I beg your pardon? Turns out the case was about one man who's bitten another man's penis off in a very sordid sort of very strange den where they used to hang out and do some very extraordinary things. So I had to quietly say everybody, we're leaving, and I had to say down in the foyer, nobody put one word that you heard in there in Google Translate. <laughs> I was just mortified and um, had to, I had some very, very sheepish-looking um, students who could not believe I'd just taken them into that. Uh, yeah, uh, and, and they pro- maybe they think, you know, that's what you're into and that's what you've been looking at and waiting for that type of case. Oh, my God, I was so embarrassed and I was mortified. And what's more is Channel 10 News were at the front and I thought, oh, my God, do not video any of us. We don't want to be on the record that we're in that case. So um, another day in the life of Natalie Whelan, for those who know me. <laughs> it's always entertaining. So what else has been going on in your world at the moment, Nat? Well, it's back. Life is in full swing. Um, once again, I'm still doing a million different roles and jobs, so which is how I love it. Loads of travel and, um, yeah, just really excited with my new venture, Vidversity, which is um, the concept of taking e-learning and putting it back into the hands of subject matter experts. So instead of having to send it off to a technical team to build your online learning, um, you can use our tool, which is quite easy to use, and build your own learning without having to have very much technical experience. And I've really, really loved doing it. I've spent the last probably two years building it, and now I'm taking it out into the world, which is sort of like showing your baby. You hope the world loves it, but it's been um, it's really, really interesting. And as always, anyone who's a lawyer who knows, the end of the CPD year is March. So um, CPD Interactive provides CPD online, and we're kind of like a Christmas tree shop. No one comes till now. So it's all go, go, go. So we're very busy at the moment. So um, good time of year, but um, always looking forward to Easter. I find this first part really full on. Yeah, it is full on. And it's very much that, you know, the anticipation and the excitement for what's what's ahead for the year and, you know, really getting your momentum, getting into the groove, um, but get keeping excitement up as well. Yeah. The other thing that's, I suppose, frustrating me, and this is a bit of a corporate fringe observation too, is someone who... Um, 
is selling a product into the corporate world. I work with the education space and I also work in the corporate space. The corporate space do so much due diligence that I sometimes think I've been trying to do sort of very rough estimates. I think they spend sometimes three to four times the cost of the product on due diligence. And it's kind of a really poor mentality in the business. You're better off trying, evaluating and seeing if it was used instead of spending such extraordinary time and money in people's um, as it, when I say time and money, it's the people, it's the staff spending hours and hours reviewing this thing and meeting after friggin' meeting. I sometimes think just have a go, and I think um, I think we're missing that mentality in our corporate world in, in Australia. And I, I don't know, I can't compare to other jurisdictions, but God, it's frustrating. Whereas when I move over to the education space, they've just got this can-do, let's try, and um, I think that's really promising for Australia with higher ed is treating things like that. We can't always just say, no, I like the way I do it. So, but, it, yeah, very frustrating. Yeah, it's interesting that the education field is, is more um, open-minded. Do you think it's because they've, they've had to realise for a long time that they've had to, to shift and, and offer a new offering to keep relevant? Or do you think it's because, um, you know, that natural open-mindedness is where, you know, that where they congregate? You know, the, if you're going to be in, in academia all your life, you're naturally an inquisitive type person, so more open-minded. Yeah, definitely that. One of the things with academia I've discovered and I just didn't realise so much is you get to travel. So you get to learn a lot in other worlds. So if you work in the same job in the same corporate in Melbourne, for instance, or Sydney, you haven't got any comparative models to compare to. So that's the first thing. If you've gone to Amsterdam for a semester or you've presented in New Orleans, you're going to learn a lot of things and meet a lot of people who are really innovative. The other thing is students demand it. So when we were in the workforce, we spend our whole life criticising anyone who's younger and wants something different. We say, oh, they, they think they just want to be the CEO. And we, Students are the business in an in a education space. They are Without students, you don't have an, an education... Um, uh, you don't, well, you just don't have any sort of business at all. So the students are the key. So we have to listen to them. And so it's flipped. So in a, in a big organisation, it's the senior people are the more uh, traditionally the older people, whereas in an education institution, um, we have to listen to the students and, and how they prefer to learn and access information. And it's a competitive environment. So if you are only delivering lectures in a traditional way, students will look for other, other universities that offer different ways. So all students, all education institutions want to be the first they want to be in front. They want to attract the market. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I also wonder if egos are slightly different in academia. Oh, my God, that's why I love it. I mean, I just jump in and out of these worlds. Egos in the corporate world are out of control. And the people who are working in education are passionate, not driven by a wage because you don't earn that much. They're driven by intellect. And so it's such a rich, stimulating world to work in. So I jump back and forth. I don't actually belong in either, which is probably why I'm on the corporate fringe. I sometimes go crazy with the lack of practical knowledge and skills in the education space, and I simply cannot stand the bureaucracy and the meetings. I mean, that just drives me to the brink. But then I go to the corporate world who um, just do same-same, and they're so driven by the bottom line that um, particularly in the services industry, unless you're a fee earner, you're really just seen as a drain on a business and it's such a, a terrible way to look at, um, at your staff. Mm, yeah, absolutely. No, that's a really interesting comparison. I'd never really thought through it, but I think as, um, 
you know, especially as Australia tries to remain competitive, those two those two worlds need to combine more. And I think the proof's in the pudding. I mean, how many times have we heard, oh, our scientists have developed something, but they couldn't co- commercialise it in Australia? So we haven't got the two. So, um, and I went to a great conference or a great meeting last week with some very interesting people who are trying to, a lot of venture capitalists from China trying to match those two because the Chinese are very good at corporatizing, but they don't have the creativity. I mean, they're massive generalisations, but that's a real match made in heaven because one of the problems in Australia is our market's too small. So, um, but how many times do we hear a scientist invented the, the ear implant or whatnot and then the, the money's made offshore? Yeah, that's really interesting. But, you know, the other thing is, is as you said, the um, academia, you know, you're not only encouraged, you're actually kind of forced to travel. And imagine if everyone in those senior executive corporate spaces had to take a sabbatical every year of, you know, two weeks to a month to go to a completely um, diverse, separate organisation and, and just to learn. Oh, I know. And that, that's um, that's the countries like Norway. That's how they approach things. So I had an au pair live with me many years ago who's still very close to me and our family. And she came out as an 18-year-old and the country actually paid her for a year to travel before she started university because their belief is the more that you've travelled, the more that you bring back to the country. So it's almost like part of your education is to do that. Yeah, whereas... Um, I mean, I hear how many companies... I know travel's expensive, but video conferencing and that is not going to replace your ability to learn from others. So, yeah, it's really interesting. It took me a long time to adjust at uni. I felt really uncomfortable saying I'd like to go to a conference at The Hague. And the, uh, If you ask that in a corporate space, they'd look at you like you're crazy. But here they say, you've got to go. That's where you've got to tell the world what you're doing and you've got to learn from them. So that's a really, really much more exciting place to work in. Yeah. Then the other challenge you've got with any kind of investment in anyone's professional development is um, the flexible workforce. So, you know, if somebody, if, if, if you know, if organisations feel like they're getting ripped off because people are only staying with them for two years, they don't see their return on investment. Yeah, but that's the short-sightedness of corporate space. So, I mean, this flexibility thing is ridiculous. It's, it should have flexibility should just be a given. Productivity is all we should measure. I just so that should be another podcast. I'm as someone who has quite a few staff now. I couldn't care less where or when they do it. I hope their quality of work is really high and it meets the expectations, and their productivity is really high, and you're rewarded for that. Yeah, but then we've talked about, you know, that in my space in HR, that a good manager is one that sets the expectations and is really clear. And you and I have experienced this this week. You've got a piece of work where you've got 20 modules that need to be completed. You think the first one will take probably 10 hours for the person, but as they get faster and faster. So you're saying, oh, I'm happy to pay per module. If you pay per hour, it's no it's no um, incentive for someone to get faster and better at doing it. Whereas if they get really quick and amazing in doing it, they're actually going to be earning quite a good salary. Yeah, and good on them. Good on them if they finish every day their, their work by 11 o'clock in the morning and have made good money. That's what I care about. And also that makes a happy employee or a happy mm. contractor that you're working with. And, um, oh, I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big fan. I think I'm... I'm Oh, that's why I hated being a lawyer because the person who takes the longest to draft a contract clause is the person rewarded because it's billable hours that you need to meet your budget. Whereas I'm a much more quick get things done, probably a bit slapdash. Um, but that's I've always been a big fan. Done is better than perfect. Yeah, you don't need all your ducks in a row. You just need a duck. But um, no, I think. But I think that comes down to a manager or an employer. It's it's they have to really use their thinking 
to come up with what is it we're trying to achieve here and then articulate it. And that sounds really easy, but it doesn't always happen. No, because it's all in communication. So the key is creating an environment where the person knows what to do, mm-hmm. they know what a good job looks like, and they have somewhere to get help when they're stuck. And if you've got that attitude as an empl- uh, a boss or someone who's an employer, I just think you can't go wrong because you create that cycle of if you get stuck come to me don't go hiding things and go underground and make things worse for you because you don't really know what to do and that's the kind of boss who's scary to approach that's what happens yeah it's interesting because um working with larger organizations they struggle with that at scale because you've got such a variety of different skill sets from managers but I heard um, from someone I caught up with recently, he said HR actually creates bad managers because they take away, because they make sure that the bottom managers lift, but they actually make the good managers lazy because they have things like performance reviews and stuff. So they go, I don't really need to catch up with my staff regularly because I know I'm going to every six months anyway, because I'll be forced by HR. Yeah. I mean, I think performance reviews are like going for your license. I don't think I've ever driven like that again. I don't think they're I, and I, I think the feedback has to be two-way all year round. But anyhow, that's starting to sound like uh, utopia. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. But thanks very much. And um, we promise you we are trying really hard to get the technology right to be able to um, to bring in guests and we're really keen to bring in others because we know there's only so much you can listen to us. Although we've got a lot to say. We could keep going for hours. But, um, you know, thanks for listening. Please share. We'd love you to write a review. That really helps um, um, grow our listening base. Um, But we're really enjoying talking to you and um, thanks for listening.